So good, so good to be with you all today. My name is Derek, one of the teaching pastors here. Uh, it is football season. Amen? Hey, we got preseason football on. The college teams are in camp. Uh, all of us are in contention. All of our teams, even A&M and Texas Longhorns, are in contention at this point, uh, which is great. Uh, how many of you are sending kids back to college? Let me see your hands. Raise them up high. You're like, yes, I cannot wait till they stop eating my food out of my refrigerator. It's great. Well, this is college season. We're sending kids back. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about uh, all the bumper stickers that I see about colleges. Uh, Some are more obnoxious than others. Uh, But here is one that really stands out to me that I like. Uh, This is for all the Longhorns. My money and my son go to Texas. And all the Longhorns said, wow, that was weak. Any Longhorns in the house? Like Longhorns? We got a couple you can say, you can cheer, whatever you want to do. Uh, okay, the next one I know for sure is going to get something. My kid and my money go to Texas A&M. Any, any Aggies in the house? Yeah. And you know what's coming next. Uh, my kid and my money go to Ohio State. Uh, it should say the Ohio State, but it doesn't, um, and that's all right. And I, and I know I give the Longhorns and the Aggies a lot of hard time, and I appreciate your grace. I actually tried to pick on Baylor this week, and so I, I looked entire internet, like everything. I like went to the bottom of the internet this week trying to find a sticker that said, my kid and my money go to Baylor, but I couldn't find one. It's just not out there. And I think the reason why is because if they made a sign, it would say, my kid and all of my money have to go to Baylor. Oh, ouch. That was a joke. And the only reason I say that is because most of us are going to work for Baylor grads at some point in our life. Uh, so we are an equal opportunity offender when it comes to colleges around here. And I appreciate that you guys can take it and, and as I dish it out. But the reason I want to start out with this is because money is really important to us. And we slap stickers on the side of our car. We talk about money. Uh, I don't know if you're aware there's an election going on. Uh, I don't know if you know that. If you've seen that on TV, maybe. Uh, the number one topic of the election this year, you guessed it, is the economy. Our money is extremely important to us. I was reading a study this week that said the number one stressor in all relationships is money. Not just do I have enough money, but how do I use my money? And if you've been married for more than a few days, you've probably had some kind of conversation, code word for argument about money. Anybody else ever had that argument with their spouse? Uh, And if you're just planning a wedding, if you're engaged, God bless you. We've got a few of you here. Uh, If you are planning a wedding, I guarantee at some point you're going to have a heart-to-heart discussion or argument about how to spend your money because money is important to us. It is essential to us. It's how we do things in this world. And so I find it interesting that we can all agree that money is very important to not only us as individuals, but us as a society Yet oftentimes in the church, we shy away from talking about money, if if we're just honest. We don't like when a pastor gets up and talks about money. Actually, some of us do like it. Honestly, in this room today, there's some people that are like, man, we need to talk about money every day. Some of us are like, man, you talk about money one more time, Derek. I'm going to take my money somewhere else, and it's not going to be this church. And so we have both ends of the spectrum today. But what I find is so interesting is that we don't want to talk about money in the church, yet Jesus never once shied away from talking about money. Uh, 16 of his 35 or 38 parables, Jesus actually used money and possessions to prove a point. Jesus didn't back away from talking about money. And then if you open up not just the New Testament, but if you look it up at the entire book, the Bible, there are 500 verses that talk about prayer. That's, That's a lot of verses. There's 500 verses that talk about faith. But there are over 2,000 verses in this text that talk about money and possessions. 
And so today we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about um, specifically why, when we gather, you know, why do we give? We're in the middle of this together series where we're saying, like, we don't want to just show up and go through the motions. We want to know, like, why do we do the things that we do? It's important for us to not just go through the motions. So last week, Les taught on why do we gather around the word of God when we gather? And we want it to change us, change us, uh, challenge us, conform us in the image of Christ. So we gather around this word to get to know God, to be more like him. And so today we're going to say, or at least try to answer the question, why do we give when we gather? I think it's important for all of us. Uh, as Landra shared a little bit ago, and just this beautiful testimony of her childlike faith, I want to make sure that there's a clarity here that we're all on the same page when it comes to some definitions, that I don't want you to take something out of context. And so I'm going to be trying to really careful today. And we're also going to look at a ton of scripture. So if you have a Bible, get it ready. It's going to be on fire today. Uh, if you have a phone, it may shut down. It's so overheated. Uh, but we're going to look at a lot of scripture because I, I just want it to come from the word of God, not from Derek. So you can judge that. But, but the word tithe, if you've been in a church at all, you've heard the word tithe used. Now, the word tithe is an old English word that literally stands for one-tenth. Everybody say ten. Ten. So tithe is ten percent of what we make. This is what the word means. It's not, I'm going to give $50 here. I'm going to give 5%. A tithe, by the definition of the word, is ten percent. Now, what's interesting is, is that many people in the church, including this church, are probably on different sides of, of should we tithe or should we not tithe? I mean, that's really the question I think most of us need to answer today. Am I supposed to tithe? Somebody said yes, but everybody else is pretty quiet. So should we tithe? Should we not tithe? That, that's what I want us to answer today. But I think a better question is, is am I required to tithe? A better question would be, does God desire for me to give generously? That, I think, is a much better question than saying, and man, do I have to tithe? A better way to say that is, does God desire for us as followers of Jesus, that's what a Christian is, one who emulates the life and the actions of Jesus, does he desire that I give generously? Now, now the tithe itself was given in Leviticus as part of the Mosaic law. And so just put yourself in uh, historic times. Uh, the Jews were people that were led by God. They were given the laws in Leviticus. And in that law was in one of the chapters, it says that you are to tithe off of everything that you receive. 10%, one-tenth you give to everything. And out of that everything, that 10%, it's then given to the temple so it can be distributed to, to keep track of the temple, to build up the temple, and to also pay for the priests to do their job. It was part of the law. It was almost like a tax. Everybody did it. And so hear me say this today. Everybody, eyes up here. We are no longer under the Mosaic law. And somebody said, amen. <laughs> right? So good. But the question is then, if, if the tithe is in the Mosaic law, and I'm not under the Mosaic law, do I still have to tithe? That's, that's the question today. And, and what I see that's very interesting about the tithe is it's not just given in the law. So, so if we break it up, we have pre-law, we have the law that was given to Moses, and then we have the new covenant, which Jesus came to set up. Okay, so we have three seasons in our history, if you kind of look at that. So we know that the law says that you should tithe, okay? But what's interesting about the tithe, it actually started way back before the law was ever given to Moses, it actually predates the law. And we see this uh, early on in the life of Abram, the father of our faith, in, in Genesis chapter 14. I think we're going to have that on the screen here. 
So here it says, it says, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into you. Now, now he blind and bold. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, now he gave uh, King Melchizedek, this is the high priest at the time. So he, he tithed to the priest. Genesis 14, way, way, way before the law was ever given to Moses. The, the tithe was honored by God. And then just a few chapters later, the grandson of Abram, we, we catch him up. This is Jacob. And it says here, Jacob had had a dream. He was sleeping on a rock and the Lord spoke to him and gave him some revelation. And in Genesis chapter 28, it says, then the Lord shall be my God. This is Jacob speaking. And this stone, which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full 10th to you. 10th. 10% tithe. And so we seek very clearly, tithe was given in the law, but also the tithe predates the law. And so now we say, well, what about the new covenant that Jesus set up? And, and if you flip to Matthew 23, you don't have to do that now, but if you want to write that down, Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus is confronting some of the religious leaders. Some of those that were super zealous, some of those that were really uh, adamant about following the law. And he tells them, that, hey, you should tithe on your mint leaves, on your income, and all this stuff. And he says, but as you tithe, don't neglect the weightier things, which is mercy, faithfulness, and justice. And so Jesus, New Testament, New Covenant, he looks at a group of people that are tithing, and he doesn't say, hey, stop tithing. It, it's, it's over. Don't, th- that was way back then. Don't do it. He doesn't say that. He actually tells them, actually, continue to tithe. Keep on doing that, but don't miss out on the weightier things that I've given you to do, which is justice, faithfulness, and mercy. And so we see all three phases. Pre-law, the tithe was in place. We see in the law, the tithe was in place. And then we see Jesus actually, although he didn't teach on it a lot, he very clearly tells the Pharisees, yeah, keep tithing. And so the question, I guess, today is, what does that mean to us? So, so here's what I believe about the tithe. This is from Derek. I don't see the tithe as a law for us to follow, but I do see the tithe, the 10% of our income as an entry level to giving. Did you hear me? It's not a law, but I see the tithe as an entry level, kind of a lower floor level for us to begin to give to God a 10% of our income. And what I, I think is that I see in the Old Testament and the New Testament that what happens in the Old Testament, the laws that are given, they get sucked forward into the New Testament and the bar is actually raised up. See, when Jesus was giving his Sermon on the Mount, he said, hey, you say it's wrong to commit adultery. And he said, yeah, you need to confess to everybody, amen, adultery is wrong. If you're in an adulterous relationship right now, you need to confess and you need to ask for forgiveness. Because somebody, based on statistics, is having an affair right now in this room. And I'm telling you, you need to come straight with God first and then to the person that you're having an affair against. But he says, an affair, adulterous relationship is wrong. But then the New Testament comes in and he ups the bar and he says, not only is adultery wrong, but if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And then he goes on the next one. He says, hey, murder is bad. We can all say, right, amen to that. Murder is bad. And Jesus says, yeah, murder is wrong. It's a sin. And he pulls it forward into the new covenant. And he says, not only is murder wrong, but now if you have anger and hatred towards your brother, you have committed murder in your own heart. So what I want to put before you today, with as much grace as I can, is that I believe that the same can be said for the tithe. We've got the tithe in the law. 
And, and what the New Testament, the New Covenant does, it pulls it forward. It says, yes, the tithe is good, but I'm actually calling you to more to that. I'm calling you to radical generosity. This is what we see in the New Testament. We don't see the word tithe a lot, but we see this word, this thought, generosity. And, and so I, I think for me, as I look at the tithe in the Old Testament, that it's really, um, a, 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 it's a principle. It's a, a bigger principle that God has given to humanity to teach us and to, to, to move us towards something. So the tithe is really a picture of what God wants to do in a larger principle, the principle of the first fruit. So if you're taking notes, write down first fruit principle. And that's really what we're going to look at today is what does the Bible say about the first fruit? How does that tie into tithe? How does that tie into why we give? Uh, Proverbs 3, 9 gives us a little insight. And this is the book of wisdom. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Now that can preach its own sermon. That's an amazing line right there. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruit, everybody say first fruit. First fruit of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be burned. Give him your first with wine. And so it says, man, if you honor God and you give him your first fruit, your first and your best, it says that God is going to bless you. That could be financially, that could be spiritually, that could be a lot of different ways. But it says, if we will honor God with our wealth, he will respond to us. It's amazing. Now, now flip over to Exodus. Get your Bible fired up here. Exodus chapter 13. I'm going to get really excited here in a moment because this is some amazing text. When we're speaking about first fruit, chapter 13, verse 12 and 13. So this is Moses speaking on behalf of God to the people of God. Verse 12 says, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first open, all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that, that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Now, now this, is, this is deep here, so follow me. So, so this is the, the principle of first fruit. And he says, listen, if you have an animal, if you're a person of God and you've got an animal and it's a clean animal like a lamb, that first animal that comes out of the womb, you are to sacrifice that animal. You are to kill it. And if you have a donkey, which is an unclean animal, you are to not sacrifice that, but you are to redeem it by taking an, a clean animal and killing it so that that unclean animal can become clean to be redeemed. Are you, are you following me? And he says, if you're not going to do either one of those, if you're not going to sacrifice, if you're not going to redeem, then it says go ahead and break its neck because you're going to lose it either way. See, this gives us a picture, a principle that God has set in place from the beginning of time, really, his first fruit. And it's a principle that God actually leads with. See, he doesn't ask us to do something he's not willing to do. You see, when, when God looks at the first fruit, he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to lead you, and then I'm just going to ask you to follow. So what was God's first fruit offering? Jesus. Jesus. Now, now, here's a question for you, a Bible story question. Was Jesus born clean or unclean? Clean, a little bit more up there. So was Jesus born clean or unclean? Clean, clean right? He who knew no sin. He was without sin. And so Jesus was the clean. Now let me ask you, are, are you perfect? And a spouse just said, heck No. Listen, we're all born sinners and we are not at the perfection of God. And so we are born, all of us, unclean. 
Now, now the story looks at this. Look at how God did. God said, I want to redeem the unclean. I want to redeem my people. And so to do that, I can't sacrifice the unclean, the unclean people that I long to be with. So, so God doesn't sit there and say, hey, you guys just do the first fruit thing, but I'm not going to. He says, no, I'm going to give my first and my best, my son, in order to redeem a people back to me. And so we see that God actually leads us in this first fruit. He gave his son to redeem us. So the question is, are we required to give a tithe? By no means. Does God bless and honor a first fruit tithe? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every single time in scripture, you see God bless this. So God actually gives us the opportunity to choose. Am I going to give? And if I'm going to give, how much am I going to give? And so before we make that decision today, before you make a personal decision on what you're going to give to God, I want us to look at this principle of first fruit and to see what it does when we engage in it in our life, what the word promises us. Okay, so we've got five points today. If you're taking notes, point number one of why we give. We give to remember what God has done and who he is. If you're in Exodus, look down at verse 14 in the same section, Exodus 13, verse 14. And when the time to come, your sons ask you, what does this mean? Asking, what does this sacrifice and redemption, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now, just think about what Moses is saying. He's saying, listen, uh, people of God, we are going to be a people that give our first fruit offering to God. That means we're going to kill clean animals, and we're going to kill clean animals to redeem unclean animals. So you can imagine if you've got a little kid, like I've got my three little kids here. You guys are doing so good. I'm so proud of you. if we were raised in this society, there would come a point where my oldest son would get um, of age and he would kind of look around and say, Dad, I, you know, I didn't graduate from Baylor or A&M, and, but I, I know math. And uh, I think if we stopped killing so many animals, we would have more animals. And what the text says is, is when your son or daughter get to that point where they start asking, this is how you respond. Hey, there was a day when I was in bondage. I had no hope and no life, but by the grace of God and his mighty hand, he reached down, he saved me, he plucked me out of my bondage and he saved me. And so son, the reason I give my first and my best to God is because I wanna remember who he is and what he's done for me. So why do we give? To to remember who God is, to remember what he's done in your life and my life. Uh, this past few months, uh, I've had this specific opportunity. My son, Jace, here is 10 years old. He has started a company. It is a mowing company, and he has all of two lawns. It's an amazing company, um, and his P&L looks a lot better than my P&L. Uh, you know, his profit and loss is all profit, and mine is capital uh, expenditure and labor that is unpaid. And, but I love it because it's teaching him what it looks like to be a man who stewards his money, which all of us could learn a little bit about. 
what it looked like, a rough with him, Jace. Then we sit down and we marked out a really, really rough, uh, I'm not gonna show you what it looked like, a rough P&L. And we said, man, what are your income? What are the revenue pieces? And we had two yards and it was awesome and a lot of revenue there. And then we said, man, what are all your costs? And I said, not just your costs, but like all the costs, like daddy's costs and gas and driving, equipment. And we listed all that out and his eyes keep getting bigger and bigger. And he's like, man, I don't want to pay that. I said, it's okay. Daddy will pay most of this, but you're going to learn a little bit. And so I set it up. Uh, He pays for every day we go mow two yards. He pays me $10. I am that dad. He pays me $10 to cover transportation, uh, to cover some equipment cost, and to teach him what it looks like to have a company. But, but the one thing that we did when we sat down, uh, we said, man, Jace, you got this money coming in now. Man, you're a high roller. Like, it's going to be so good. Uh, he has this company so that he can buy a cow, actually. Uh, so we're calling it Cow Cash, aren't we, Jace? Uh, he wants to buy a cow in the worst way. And so he's got this job to do this. But when we sat down and we started looking at the P&L, I said, hey, the first thing we do with our income is we give 10% back to the Lord. And so I write 10% down, and he's got the calculator, and uh, he does the math on it. And, uh, and he said, Daddy, that's a lot of money. And I said, yes, Jay, $7 is a whole lot of money. <laughs> and then he looked at me and said, do, do you give this much money? And I said, yes, son, I actually give a lot more than this uh, every time I get paid. And then I reminded him, this is why I, we give our first and our best to God. is to remind us that, man, your daddy was not always a believer your daddy was actually pretty jacked up. And by the grace of God, he reached down in his sovereignty and lifted me out and got my eyes set on him. And so today, I am the daddy that I am because of his grace. And so it is my pleasure and my honor to give back to him what he has given to me. It's all his anyhow. He just said, give me the first and the best. And so we sat down and I said, that's why we give, is to be reminded of who God is and what he has done in our life. The second reason we give when we gather together is to exercise and build our faith. Flip over into Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 4. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, this chapter 11 is really known as really the faith chapter. It, it gives us a lot of information about faith and the role of faith. But specifically here, there's a story of Cain and Abel. Anybody remember the story of Cain and Abel? Uh, it's in Genesis chapter 4, and I think we're going to have it on the screen here. So Genesis chapter 4, these are the, the, the sons of Adam and I don't know where they went to college. And they're living, and they're doing their thing. They're growing up. They've graduated college. Whatever they've done back then, I don't know where they went to college. They went somewhere. Trust me, kids. Go to college. And then we get here and we get a little insight into what Hebrews is talking about. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first or of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn. Everybody say firstborn. Of his flock and of the fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now, this is extremely interesting. Remember, we're talking about this uh, first fruit giving, giving the first and best to God. And what we see here in Hebrews, the New Testament, it says that God counted the faith of Abel as righteousness, and he received this gift. Now, now listen, his firstborn. Listen, how many of you know when you have an animal, it's your first animal, and you give that away, you don't have any guarantee there's going to be another animal? 
And so it says that Abel, he had his firstborn and he gave that to the Lord and that requires faith. I'm gonna trust God that, that I'm gonna give this to him and he's gonna bless whatever comes after that. That is the principle of first fruit. And this is what we see, that it stirs our faith. It exercises and builds up our faith. And so Abel, he stepped out in faith, gave his firstborn and God says, I'm gonna receive that every single time. But, but then we have Cain and he gave a different kind of offering And we don't know all the details based on the text, but we can kind of conjecture some things. It says, in the course of time. See, when when I read this, and I know that that Cain had no faith, but Abel had faith, what I I see is that possibly Cain, he waited till the entire harvest was brought in the storehouse. He said, I'm just going to wait on the course of time. I'm going to let everything come out. And then once I know how much I have, then I'm going to take a portion of that. And then I'm going to give that to the Lord. And what we see in Hebrews is that it says God does not receive that because that kind of gift, it required no faith whatsoever. See, God desires us to give the first and the best. That requires faith. Giving out of our abundance or giving out of what once we have everything in and then I'm gonna say, well, God, this is what I've got left. Like that doesn't honor the Lord. And, and what we see in Hebrews is that doesn't actually please him because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so this is the beauty of God. This is how much he loves you and me. God is pleased when we step in faith. And so what does God put into place all the way back in Genesis? He says, listen, I'm gonna put a principle into place, the first fruit offering, and it's gonna require you to be a people of faith. It's gonna give you an opportunity to exercise your faith. And so a place of faith in order, when you give me the first and the best out of your income, it's gonna actually step you into a place of faith. And in that arena of faith, that is where I'm pleased. And so God actually wires us and gives us an opportunity to please him by following the first fruit given. It's extraordinary. We give in order that we can exercise and build our faith, which pleases God. The, the next piece we have is we give as a body of believers to align our heart with God to align our heart with God. Matthew chapter six, flip over there if you've got your Bible. It's gonna be on the screen as well. This one is loaded, so get ready. Verse 19, it says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, now treasure, treasure is our finances, our resources, uh, it's our money. Now, the reason why these things are so attractive to us is because our money, our finances, our resource, they try to offer us some security. They try to offer us some self-worth. And so the reason we value it as a society is when I have a lot of money, I feel very secure, And when I have a lot of money, I begin to feel pretty good about who I am. And so what it offers us, what these treasures offer us is is a false security, a false self-worth. And we can easily get our minds wrapped up into thinking that's where I got to go. And it says here that we are not to put our treasure in things that are just going to be temporary. Now, let me just be really clear here. God is not anti-wealth. Okay. Somebody say amen to that, right? God is not mad if you are a millionaire. 
None whatsoever. If you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament combined, there are so many men and women that God used that had excessive amounts of money. It's silly. And oftentimes what it says is God actually gave them their wealth. So so if you are a wealthy person, whatever that means to you, uh, this is not a conviction to you today because God is not anti-wealth. What he is anti is he is anti us putting our trust and our security in the things of this world. So he says, listen, don't put your treasure in things that are going to be temporary because it's a short-term play. If I put my treasure in it, then you're just going to get just this immediate satisfaction. And if you're like me, that goes away really quickly. But he says, instead of investing all your treasure there, he said, invest that in things that are going to last for eternity. Invest that in things that are going to be around when Jesus comes back to set up his new earth and new heaven. Invest for the long run. Don't just invest for the short-term play. So he says, don't waste your money. Don't just put it all in there. The text tells us is that our heart follows our treasures. And and what Jesus actually says is we decide, where are we going to allocate our treasures? Are we going to give it to things of this earth? Or are we going to invest in things that are long-term? We actually have the choice. You have the choice. And what we know is that wherever we invest heavily, our heart will go also. You know this. If you go out and buy a big house, guess what? Your heart is in your house. Once again, not a problem, but you know this. If you go out and buy a big RV, if you're crazy enough to do that, then your heart is going to go to the RV. If you invest a lot in a stock, then a part of your heart is going to be drawn to that. And so what God says is those things aren't bad. The economy of this world are parts that we have to do. But he says what you need to make sure you're doing is that you're investing your treasure, you're investing your security and your trust into me. Invest in me because your heart will follow where your treasure is. You see, we can redirect our treasure, or giving redirects our treasure, which redirects our heart. Giving redirects our treasure, which redirects our heart. And honestly, this was what happened to Kate and I. For years, we were those people, uh, and this is not any combination to you, but we were the people in church that just gave a $50 bill like every other Sunday, and we felt pretty good about ourselves uh, until we um, came across this book called The Blessed Life uh, that our pastor gave us in Ohio, and it really changed our outlook on what it meant to be a people that are generous. What does it look like to be a people that embrace the tithe, not as a law, but as a privilege? And so it was extremely hard for us. It required a ton of faith for us to, instead of just giving 50, for us to say, okay, God, we're gonna trust you. We're gonna go all in and we're going to give to you generously. But I can tell you from experience over the last six years of our life, and this is not me tooting my own horn, so so don't take it there. What I can tell you is I am closer to the Lord than I ever was before. Now, there are a lot of variables involved with that. The Holy Spirit, knowing the word of God. But I'll tell you, I wasn't a giving man. I didn't sow into the church, and therefore my heart wasn't in the church. And so I want to challenge you, where is your treasure going? Because I guarantee you, part of your heart is going with it. And what it says here is God says it's going to be lasting. Invest in the temporary, the scene. Man, invest in something that's long-term, that's going to be lasting. Uh, The next to last uh, reason why we give to the local church specifically is to maximize our K-R-O-I our kingdom return on investment. And I wish I came up with that, but Jason Milton shared that uh, a year ago probably, and I just love that. 
Because listen, as men and women who are part of a body of believers that we follow Jesus, we are a people that should care about where our money goes. If you don't care about where your money goes, then there's a bigger problem that you had here. We should care where our money's going, how it's allocated, how it's being used. And so as a church, we give to the church, which is God's church. Jesus is the head of our church. We give to that because we wanna maximize our kingdom return on investment. And the church takes our giving the church elders leadership and we allocate that to minister to extend mercy and to engage in mission both locally and abroad you see when we gather together and we give one of the things that happens is that we have the ability to give uh, people like me one of your pastors the ability to leave our careers and to give our full vocational job to administer the gospel That's what you see in Acts chapter six. They said, set apart seven men to go and not serve tables anymore, but to go and serve the people, the gospel. And so when you give, you allow me and the staff to minister in many, many ways. And so on behalf of our staff and our church, I just want to tell you, thank you. I do. I wouldn't be able to stand up here and preach every Sunday if it wasn't for our giving. And so one of the ways that when we give, it allows us to minister, but the other way, it allows us to extend mercy. Mercy is those tangible needs and so when you give to the church, whether you know it or not, 20% of every dollar leaves our church to benefit somebody else. You know, we, we don't, we're not big on spiritual entertainment around here. We don't have a ton of programs, but we say, man, we'd rather have a tighter budget and to send our money out to the world and in this place. And so when you talk about mercy, man, we have a huge benevolence fund that we give to people in our own church. This economy right now, uh, some of you have been hard hit. Some of you have almost lost your home. You've lost a car. And so just so you guys know, when you're giving to this church, 20% of that, a portion of that goes to helping people inside the church. We've helped people get cars. We've helped people stay in their home. We've helped people trying to bridge the gap from job to job. We've helped the needy. We've helped single moms. We've helped all kinds of people with benevolence. So we extend mercy inside the church, but we also extend mercy outside of the church through human trafficking initiatives, through the refugees that are just pouring into our country. When you give, that's what it's going to. And then lastly, uh, when you give to this church, that 20% pool, part of that goes to missions, both locally and Kenya. We help moms who are single all over the city. So when you give to this church, listen, you are giving uh, a chance for the church to minister, to extend mercy and to engage in mission. And you should be proud of that. Now, if you're sitting here today and you say, man, I don't trust the church. I've been burned in the past, and so I'm just not going to give because I don't really trust any organization. Um, I don't think organization is right. Then I would say, man, you better hope there's some organization when you drive on the highway. Organization is not the devil. Organization, trusting an organization is of the devil. Big difference. But if you're sitting there today and you say, I don't trust the church. I don't know the church enough. Listen, I'm going to encourage you. If that's you, you ask somebody. You send me an email. You send Curtis an email. We would love to connect you with the right people to say, hey, this is, we're an open book here. This is what we do. We have really clean books here. We've been told from outside sources we have some of the cleanest books in the church arena. So if you're saying, I I wanna know where we're spending our money, ask, ask. That's part of you being a part of this church, ask. And we would love to provide that for you. And so we give to the church to minister, to extend mercy and to embrace missions. And then lastly, and I probably could have summed up, summed up the entire sermon with this, and Andy would have been really glad. But the last reason why we give is to worship. That's the end game, to worship. We Worship is really our response to the revelation 
of God. It's how we respond to God revealing himself in the word in our life. It's, it's our response. And so whether I'm raising my hand to worship in music or whether I'm bowing down low in prayer or whether I am obeying the word of God, even when I don't want to, that is all worship. And when I give to the local church or when I help those that are in need, that is an act of worship because what am I doing? I'm expressing my gratitude. I'm expressing the worth of the one who I serve and follow. So when I give, I'm giving worship. And we see this throughout the entire scripture, this worship. We see it when the wise men came to Jesus, they brought gifts, very extravagant gifts, and they worshiped the king, the baby king. When Jesus was sitting at the Pharisee's table and this woman came in who was a prostitute, likely she came in with a year's worth of perfume, a year's worth salary, and she dumped it on Jesus' feet and washed him and wiped it up with her hair and he cried over it and washed his feet. And it was a pouring out of her offering. It was worship. And so when we pass on the bulls, I want us to remember that we're not just going through the motions. You're not just funding some organization, what you're doing is you are giving an action to how you feel about God. You're worshiping the one who is worthy of our worship. Giving our first and our best to God in faith is not a law for us to life, principle for us to embrace. A law brings death, but a principle brings life. Giving in faith reminds us of our history with God. It exercises our faith it aligns our heart and our love for God. It is an external or eternal investment that yields kingdom returns. And lastly, it is an expression of our worship for God. So, so do we, church, have to tithe? No, no. But does the one we follow invite us to live generously? Yes. Does he honor our first and our best when we give it to him? Yes. You can't deny that in Scripture. I'm going to close with this passage from the New Testament. So this is not the Old Testament, not the law. This is Paul writing this. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, he says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Let's bow our heads. I just want you to, in the own stillness of the room, in your own quiet with the Lord, I, I, I want to invite you. Uh, there's no manipulation. There's no compulsion. There's no catch and bait and switch. There's none of that that we want to ever engage in in this church. And so I just want you to ask the Lord, what are you stirring up in me? Are, are you stirring me up to faith? Are you stirring me up with conviction? Holy Spirit, what, what do you want me to know about today? And how do you want me to move forward? Lord, I, I want to look more like you. <laughs> I want this church, when you come back, to look more and more like you. And Lord, I thank you that you were so generous <laughs> that you gave your first and your best to us so that we could be in relationship with you and that you've offered an opportunity for us to give you our first and our best and that you would honor it, that you would bless it. So Lord, may we be a people of generosity inside and outside of the church. Stir our hearts for affection for you. May we not get swayed by the world that says you have to have this, this, and this. That we've got to engage in 
this kind of bind or this kind of career, but Lord, may our eyes be on you no matter where we find ourselves, no matter if we have a little money or a lot of money, may we honor you with our wealth. 